0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am your host Nicolette Richet, and on today's show, I am so excited to have Dr. Douglas Pucci on our show. Now, Dr. Pucci, he received his Bachelor of Science from Lemoyne College in Syracuse, New York, back in 1981 and then he continued his work into natural medicine before going on to become a full-fledged chiropractor. And what's interesting about you know, Dr. Poutier that I love and why I'm so excited to have him on the show is because he, you know his learning really didn't stop there. As you know, there's so many physicians and healthcare practitioners out there that you know, they can get by with attending a few conferences, you get points for attending these conferences that apply to your additional learning that you must do to maintain your practitioner license. But, you know, Dr. Douglas Pucci, he just takes it even further. So that's when he went on and he really dove into what holistic health care was so that he can give his clients the best possible treatment all around. And when he, he talks about caring for his patients using holistic treatment, that also includes drug-free treatment. So he went on and became a functional medic, medical doctor, Going on and even earning awards, for example, he was honored in 2020 to receive both the best of 2020 awards for functional medicine in Oradell, New Jersey, and entry into the trademark publications, Top Doctors of America, Who's Who directory, um, with an honors edition for his pioneering work in his field. What I also love about the work that Dr. Pucci is doing as well is he provides very comprehensive testing so that you can get to the bottom of your health care concerns and issues and he does this by examining these biomarkers that not every other doctor is willing to do but he takes that extra step and goes there so that you can actually find out the state of your health today so you can implement the changes that need to take place so that you can get long lasting results and then going beyond uh, functional medicine Dr. Pucci went on and he studied neuroscience as well so he really understands in-depth that connection between the brain and the body and how they work together consistently to try and optimize your health just as long as we get out of its way so that our brain and body can do what it's designed to do. So, we're going to dive into so much information here that I know that you're going to want me to have Dr. Pucci back on the show. So, definitely write to me and let me know if there's any topics that we touched on that you definitely want me to dive into further when we have him back in our show. Now, Dr. Pucci is Completely aware of the limitations of our current medical system and that it has on treating chronic diseases. And this is why you want to listen to this show, because as you know, the conventional treatments that are out there are not effective in managing and treating um, chronic diseases. And when we talk about treating, we're talking about having you be able to be symptom free from these diseases, not just about using a medication to lower your blood pressure, but enabling your body to manage the high blood pressure that it's undergoing as a result of the lifestyle choices that you are making. Same thing applies to diabetes. Same thing applies to autoimmune disorders and more. And this is where Dr. Pucci comes in because he began studying functional disciplines of medicine and the neuroendocrine immunology response together with the testing technologies and the nutraceuticals. So those are nutrition Supplements, nutraceuticals um, that are known to, yes, not just manage disease, but also reverse disease as well. And I think that's what you are actually after. When you go to a doctor, you don't really just want a doctor to prescribe the medications. And so that you have, you know, a night table stand that's just full of, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, maybe sometimes even 30 and 40 medications. I've seen that in many of my clients. That is not ideally how you want to be living. You know that, and I know that. And it's important that you go out there and find doctors who know that too. And doctors like Dr. Pucci who are going to work with you so that you can clear your night table of all of those medications, maybe replace them with a few nutraceuticals, a few supplements, because you can't get everything that you need through food alone. So there's going to be a few additional things that you need. Because it's not present in our food systems, or maybe genetically your body needs a slight boost. But at least when you're responding to these nutraceuticals, that they often and in most cases don't have side effects, not like the side effects we're seeing from all the pharmaceuticals that are out there. So enjoy this podcast and let me know what you think of it. And definitely let me know if there are any other questions you want to ask. You want me to ask Dr. Pucci when he's on our show next, because I know you're going to love this just as much as I love doing the interview with him. Now on other news, what is happening in the world of the green mustache and richer health? Well, COVID came in and swept us off our feet, not in the loving way, but Also, in a loving way, I would have to say, it definitely made my family check our priorities. And we realized that, you know, we've been going really, really, really hard for a long time. And when COVID hit and we were able to spend time at home with our families, we were able to be on our gorgeous one acre of organic farmland property, we realized We didn't want to be taking care of one acre of land. We wanted to pass that over to somebody who loved being out there in the garden and had the time to be out there taking care of all the landscaping and the yard work and everything that comes with owning a big piece of land. And we decided to downsize and downsize property. But, you know, we live in a little tiny cabin on the property and we decided to upsize our living conditions just slightly and just to give our teenagers a little bit more space we have sliding doors on our walls which aren't bad they're great because I can hear them breathing at night but you know our teenagers needed a little bit more privacy as well and so we have sold our property which means we have sold the nutrition and detox wellness center But rest assured, we are going to be running retreats once the airports open up again. But we decided and our family decided that if we are going to run retreats, we wanted to come to you, no matter where you are in the world. So Europe and Australia and Hawaii and Costa Rica and, you know, sunny places, snowy places, you know, we're happy to go anywhere in the world. But just so that we're incorporating our family time into the retreat time as well. So that we really have the best of both worlds. Um, And this has meant the world to us because I can tell you when we've had the wellness center, um, our phones were dinging and not nonstop. and we already have our restaurants. So our phones tend to ding quite a lot because of that. And so we decided to really just focus on the restaurants and then run retreats after COVID is over. So head over to our website. You're going to want to sign up to get on the wait list for retreats when we open them up again in 2020 and we'll announce the dates and locations um, more at the end of this year. So get on the wait list for that. Now, what's happening right now in our world? As you know, I have been running and cycling to get ready for my run cycle across Canada as part of 22 million strong. We have hired a film crew called In Light Films, which is an amazing film crew, beautiful people, socially minded. Um, One of our Um, filmmakers. She's a researcher and she's Indigenous as well to Haida Gwaii. And everybody on that team is just such a beautiful soul. And as you know, we are going to be moving across Canada, um, running and cycling, and I'll be meeting with BIPOC communities, Indigenous, Black, invisible minority communities across Canada to really understand the barriers to accessing clean, real food. As you know, our food guide came out not too long ago, and it really states that Canadians, but also North Americans and humans in general, need to be eating at least 10 fistfuls of clean, real food. So that's produce and the fruits and vegetables and the grains and the legumes and the pulses. But I can tell you this, on average, Canadians and Americans are eating one to two fistfuls a day. So that's only... 10% of the amount of produce and real clean food that they need to be eating. But what the food guide didn't do was acknowledge the fact that remote and rural communities across North America, and especially across Canada, They are food deserts. People don't have access to clean, real food. And if they do have access to food, often it's shipped from a long distance and it's not fresh. I can tell you that. So it's frozen and it's very expensive. And often it's very, very heavy on the meat and dairy side. So not necessarily the produce side. So we want to really uncover what are the barriers to accessing that food. And that's part of my PhD research. That's part of 22 million strong. And all in all, we are going to be making a documentary on this through our charity, Sea to Sky Thrivers Society. So if you wanna know how I went from being a workaholic mom sitting behind her computer for like eight to 10 hours a day and not moving my body, you can follow my training program at 22 million strong training team head over onto Facebook and get on there and you can get access to my training and my nutrition plans and just learn about how I went from you know being a sedentary mom workaholic to being a super fit endurance athlete and I officially have given myself that title of endurance athlete because I often head out there for hours upon hours upon hours riding my bike and running and I can do it And my body's holding up on a plant-based diet um, and it's doing really, really well. So follow our training there. I'll be posting videos and insights from my training that I wanna share with you. And definitely ask any questions that uh, you have about that. So thanks for joining us. We'll be leaving July 1st now to allow Canadians to receive their vaccinations and allow COVID to hopefully taper down um, quite a bit that will allow us to move across Canada safely with our film crew. So without further ado, back to Dr. Douglas Pucci. Very excited to have him on our show. I'll see you at the end. Bye for now. Okay, welcome everyone to the Eat Realty Heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Richet, and on today's show, we are very, very welcome and glad to have Dr. Doug Pucci, functional medicine doctor. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this.
0: I am looking forward to it as well because every time we have our different guests on the show, it's amazing. Um, I love hearing from our audience members. I was just out for a run the other day and somebody was running past me and they're like, I'm listening to your podcast. How cool is (laughs) that? It is very, very cool because there's always uh, good stories to share
1: impacting people's lives that's what it's all about isn't it
0: exactly yeah through storytelling because a lot of the times too we have so much going on behind the scenes and everybody's so busy but we forget to you know share some of the things that are happening so that other people can learn so they don't have to reinvent the wheel or lose themselves in google trying to find out you know the answers to so many of the common problems that are affecting us especially around health so that's what I want to dive into with you so one of the things that um, I loved, your publicist reached out to me um, about having you on the show, and one of the things that I definitely want to get into in today's show is about how hormones relate to heart health, because it is heart Um, it is February's heart health month. And so, you know, chronic diseases are plaguing our society. Right now we're in the midst of a pandemic, but we have this epidemic of chronic disease that is taking everybody out. You know, one in two people are diagnosed with heart disease. We have one in four people being diagnosed with diabetes, type two diabetes. And it's um, definitely something that we absolutely need to address. So before we jump into that, and because you gave me permission to talk about the C word, um COVID um I just want to jump in and just get your perspective on it because we're in Canada you're in the U.S. and I've been hearing many many different stories from different people in the U.S. that we interview and everybody seems to have a very different perception but what's your perception Mm. on COVID and you know the seriousness of it you know tips that you have for people in addressing it especially for so many people who are feeling anxious still Mm. one year in
1: Well, well, that's
0: a loaded question.
1: (laughs) Well, essentially, you're saying that you speak to so many people that have different viewpoints on it. Um, um, Give me a little, give me, can you just let me know, like, give me an idea when you say they have different viewpoints on it, like what those different viewpoints are, and then I can kind of.
0: Yeah, so um, one individual, they, you know, trying to get me to come down to the US for an event. And I had to say, no, I can't come down because we are in the middle of another lockdown. It's our second major lockdown where we're not supposed to move between communities. And this particular individual said, oh, COVID is non-detectable here. What? Yes, that is what they said. So I was shocked because I immediately went, you know, to the uh, databases and started looking at the research. And I mean, there's, you know, it is prevalent. So we have some people, you know, thinking that it's not prevalent and maybe they are in their bubble. But, you know, they're out and about and commuting around and going on trips and thinking that, you know, it's okay to still have lots of people gathering. So I was just curious um, about that. And that was just about four days ago that this person said this to me.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, that's quite unfortunate, right? That's just you know, mm-hmm. foolish thinking. And it's just, you know, again, it boils down to is, you know, where are people really getting their information? What's their resources? Who are, their, who are the trusted people that they're getting the information from? Um, I even got recently an email from some person who runs a cancer care group, and I actually did a, uh, a lecture for them many, many years ago. Um, and, and, and he's now touting when he shouldn't be. He's not a medical person at all. And he's touting to people that there's no way they should get the vaccination, that it's terrible, and blah, 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 and all these things. And I just think there's just too much misinformation out there. Um, and, and there's too much of the conspiracy theories in, in this stuff, and it's not rooted in real in science. Um, the, 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 the coronavirus is real. There are always viruses, right? There are different yeah. types of viruses, right? Um, We have what we call um, uh, acute viruses. Uh, Acute viruses are things like influenza viruses and coronaviruses and rotaviruses that that cause colds. Uh, There are latent viruses. Those are the viruses that basically just stay dormant in us. We live with them, like herpes is an example, or Epstein-Barr virus or cytomegaloviruses. They lay dormant uh, when our immune systems are being suppressed, whether it's because of fatigue, uh, blood sugar issues are going on, uh, stress in general; these viruses, the immune system we can't control, and these viruses kind of rear their heads and we get herpes outbreaks. Uh, then we have viruses that are of the, you know, chronic nature. They're just percolating along, and uh, the most n- noticeable one or notable one is, is is hepatitis C. Hep C is a virus that so many people have, you know, and it's like mm. 40% of people are are asymptomatic, but then you have six percent that are symptomatic, but they still have Hep C. Um, and then you have you know, progressive viruses, an example of that would be HIV.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but what we're really talking about here are these ac- acute viruses uh, and how the immune system responds to it is different from one person to another person. Um, you know, I had some person in my office one time saying to me that she didn't wanna wear the mask, she thought this was all a bunch of nonsense. Um, and she says, you know, everybody that she sees that gets sick it you know, just gets over it and moves on with their, their life. And I'm like, well, you know, explain that to the 500,000 people who died and and all their loved ones who are losing these people. Still, it's foolish. It's really, it's it's foolish thinking. Um, The one thing about this virus in the United States, in my opinion, it has really exploited our healthcare system and how poor it really is. It is a system, you know, that is based in... Sickness—it's a sick care system. It's not a health care system. Nothing—nothing about our health care system promotes health and well-being, right? It's crisis intervention, which at times is necessary, right? But we, as you know, in the real world, right, is we have an explosion of of blood sugar and diabetes in this country and obesity, right? If you think about what are the comorbidity factors that affects people who get infected that wind up with serious complications and, and get into the ICU and don't come back, it's obesity,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's diabetes, it's, it's cardiovascular issues, exactly. right? Which is affecting over 50% of the population. So it's no mystery that when you get a virus of this nature coming in, that you're gonna see a high percentage of these people having serious complications, okay?
0: Yeah. And so just going off that, it's interesting because yesterday I was just consulting a family, and you know, every time I do a consult with a client, I say, please invite your family members in because you're about to make lifestyle changes. It's important for everybody to understand the science of the lifestyle change, the art of it, you know, how it's going to be implemented so everybody can support my client in getting better and achieving results. And, you know, one of the questions um that came up is, you know. Why does it take so long for somebody to get diagnosed with these conditions as well? They were talking about a particular condition that took about six years before the doctors were able to actually pinpoint what it was. And um, and this is something that just what you said about, you know, it, it being a sick care system, not a healthcare system. And it's so important for people to understand that, you know, and you're a medical doctor, so you understand this, the insides and outs of it, but it is actually hard for a lot of doctors to go in and to run, you know, the gamut of tests that they could run for each patient to be able to diagnose them more quickly. So when you do say it is a sick care system, a lot of these illnesses are perpetuated, not because the doctors, you know, don't want to run the test. It's just that their hands are tied as well in in actually being yeah, able to yeah, run yeah. Some of these tests.
1: That's very, very true. Um, just by, you know, quick note is that I'm actually not a medical doctor. I'm a chiropractor by license oh i thought it said medical doctor no i'm a chiropractor okay. by a license which, i love you know,
0: chiropractors this yeah, is great because too <laughs>
1: this is the whole transition it's so much easier for uh doctors of chiropractic uh, naturopathic doctors for example yeah. to transition into the world of functional medicine they're so geared for that it's very very difficult for a medical doctor to transition into a functional medicine approach right functional medicine is based in looking for the underlying root cause yeah. of the problem right it's you know an example of that just for your audience right if i tell people um if you have high blood pressure right your medical doctor or your cardiologist will put you on medication for your blood pressure and maybe rightfully so and hopefully it works with the combination works to get your blood pressure down but if you ask your doctor when do i get off the blood pressure medication the answer simply is never you're on it for the rest of your life and the question simply is well why is that well, because if you come off the blood pressure medication, your blood pressure is going to go right back up again. So the medication is not addressing the underlying root cause of why you have high blood pressure. It's just like keeping a bobbing cork underwater. Exactly. Right. But so functional doctor is going to be asking more of the questions why, right? Because if you're not addressing the underlying root cause, is you still have the root cause. And your body is going to then start to express other symptoms. And maybe it's unrelated to blood pressure. Then all of a sudden you start getting neurological signs and symptoms. You start getting headaches or migraines, as a small example. And you're seeing a different style of doctor. And they're medicating you for that symptom. Right? And now you think you have two different conditions. But they're really rooted in the same problem. And then you may even start getting side effects of the medications. Then you need more medication for the side effects. And it just kind of snowballs. Meanwhile, the underlying issues are still, still percolating. is is the fundamental truth there right and going back to what you just said about your medical doctors is uh, you know at least in the united states i can tell you that we live in what we call an icd world that means diagnostic coding right so clinically a medical doctor cannot give you a diagnosis using thyroid as an example right when you run a blood test a lab gives you a range of a marker, you know, the gold standard is TSH for thyroid. It's the hormone signal from the brain to your thyroid. So if the TSH comes back on a blood report and the lab flags that it's high, then the medical doctor will give a clinical diagnosis of hypothyroidism, you clinically can, and then they can give you a prescription. But if your test results came back and your TSH let's say was borderline high, but it was not over the lab value, the medical doctor cannot give you a diagnosis. And if he can't give you the diagnosis, he can't treat it. And this is why you have a you know a subpopulations of people that are walking around with what we call subclinical underactive hypothyroid and have all the symptoms, but like you just said, they're not gonna be diagnosed until it advances into the late stages. If you take exactly. Alzheimer's, for example, right? We know that by the time Alzheimer's get, is getting diagnosed, right, it's already 20 to 30 years in the making. My time against diagnosed is very very late in the game I just had someone come to my office very re- last week uh, inquiring about their 75 year old mother-in-law who was just diagnosed with with Alzheimer's and the first thing I want to know is you know did the neurologist tell you what stage it's in mm-hmm. right and there's seven stages I said because if you're telling me that you're in stage six or seven there is very little I can offer yeah. most of the people that I see that are coming in with cognitive decline you know dementia and parkins right and especially alzheimer's i usually see they're usually around stage four because now they're starting to have symptom expression they're right. starting to complain about cognitive changes and memory issues and stuff it's in their awareness <clears throat> or the family members are telling them you know mm-hmm. there's something different here right you know, that's your stage four you can still intercede you can still do things to kind of hit the brakes there but again right. these are all progressive things
0: so and- it- so two things there, I want to know about what you can do, what you do from your perspective to hit the brakes. Because I know what we do from a food perspective when it comes to um, clients with Alzheimer's and dementia, but I'm really curious about what what it is that you do. And the other thing too, is that um, before we get into that, so your clients are coming to see you because... Um, You're a chiropractor who's a functional medicine doctor. And so they're coming specifically for the chronic diseases, or are they also coming for body structural alignment adjustment? Oh,
1: okay. So, yeah, so i (laughs) am in practice 30 years. Yeah. uh, 30 years. And I kind of have, like, I call it, like, two halves of my career. Uh, My first half of my career was more traditional chiropractic, and I was just seeing more of those structural issues. Um, You know, when I first went to chiropractic school, I was so jazzed about the philosophy of chiropractic Mm -hmm. right which i decided not to go to medical school and go to chiropractic school because to me it was the philosophy which was that you know chiropractors understood that the body has an innate healing ability right Mm -hmm. if we can just you know remove the interferences and feed it the right nutrients right give it some exercise and some sunlight and maybe some emotional nourishment we're going to do some good things the body can heal itself really really well um but it's yeah. You know, when you get into the real world, the insurance companies are telling you something different. They're saying to you, "If you got a chiropractic license, you're a back pain doctor." Yeah. And I was kind of like, "That's not what I actually signed up for." But yeah, you want to get paid, you got to play that game. But it was along that journey that um, you know I, I learned all kinds of techniques of adjusting, from you know hard structural adjusting to instrument adjusting to SOT. To I was doing energy work, uh, mm-hmm. kinesiology, the whole gamut. Um, and yeah, I was, I was helping a lot of people, but there was always a subset of people that I wasn't helping. And I couldn't understand what the differences was. I mostly I couldn't understand. It was like, why, when you did an adjustment, that the, that the client or the patient would come back several days later, and I had to do the same adjustment again. Like, why was yeah. it that they were not holding the correction,
2: yeah.
1: right? And I decided to go back to school and learn. And I went back and I got involved. Where I got involved with neurology and functional neurology. Uh, in brain Um, and it was like the bells and the whistles went off and I was like good heavens why are they not teaching this in chiropractic school this is really the the essence of what chiropractic should be focusing on what I began to realize is that is that like 90% of these structural problems were really upstream issues they were really brain based right and unless you started to change the brain meaning like where the weaknesses was in the in the hemispheres with different regions of the brain, you really could not make an impact on the structure. So the structural correction was still a downstream symptom. It was not really getting to the root cause. So I started to do this for a while, and I learned, and I learned, and I learned, learned, I got all kinds of certifications in functional neurology, but I quickly learned, which was interesting, is that the brain is an incredibly energy demanding organ. Mm-hmm. Right? And so what happens is so many people that I was seeing had underlying metabolic issues like what you're talking about what you address right so they have blood sugar dysregulation whether it's insulin resistance or hypoglycemic issues they have hormone imbalances they had immune dysregulations they have infections in their body they had dysbiosis you know gut bacterial overgrowth or yeast infections so many things that was compromising energy production at a cellular level and because exactly. the brain is the greatest consumer of energy, their brains were fatiguing. So that impact how you could treat somebody from a functional neurology. So if I was doing my functional rehabilitation and their brains were tired, they were crashing. Yeah. It's a term they refer to that. It's called exceeding metabolic capacity. And so now the rehab, the neurological rehab, was counterintuitive. You were actually in some regards making them worse. Mm -hmm. So I had to go back and I had to really start learning how to address these underlying metabolic issues, which forced me, you know, go back to school. And this is going back, um, I'm doing this now about 12 years. And so all those years, you know, studying hundreds of hours into functional medicine stuff and learning about hormones and immune system, all those different things and applying and learning it. And so to answer your original question is my practice is people don't seek me any longer for structural chiropractic. No one called me for back pain or knee pains and those things. It's still a tool and toolbox, right? But what people are really seeing me for is just chronic degenerative health issues. Right. Everything from their, you know, cognitive decline and brain fog issues and their depression to gastric bloat and distension and pains and IBSs yeah. and the SIBO issues to hormone dysregulations and moods and all those kinds of different things and chronic fatigues and fibro mm-hmm. uh, so, and vascular issues too. So those are the gamut of things that we're seeing, yeah. right?
0: And what I love about this is that, yeah, you know, we've interviewed a lot of doctors on this, doctors of all types, um, and other health practitioners on our show. And it seems that it doesn't matter what entry point you go into the system, whether it's through chiropractic care or physio or you know an MD or nursing or dietitian or whatever it is. It seems that Now, you know, and I've been doing this for a really long time and Mm -hmm. I'm so glad to see this, you know, it feels like a sweeping movement, but other times it feels very slow, but a a movement towards um, this concept of totality, really understanding the entire body. And so, you know, with our clients, what we do is if anybody's ever been at our retreats or been one of my clients that what we do is create a whole health team. And I love what you said that chiropractic care is a tool it's a tool that should be in your toolbox. So I have some clients where we are working on the metabolic nutrition side, we're increasing their ATP production and mitochondrial, you know, energy, um, and and they're getting results. But, you know, still they could use that chiropractic adjustment as well. And I've had many chiropractors tell me that I need to stop teaching this to their clients because what happens is when the inflammation leaves the body and the body will actually just reset itself. And then in fact, it makes it easier for them to do the work or they their patients don't need to really go back for adjustments afterwards, but, you know, we use those tools. And, you know, for me, I have a dream for how, you know, medical school, you know, this integration of, you know, medical school would include chiropractic care, would include physio care, would include, you know, neurology studies. It would include all of these things. And even though doctors get a little bit of that, nobody's really, you know, there's still so much, as you know, discrepancy between you know chiropractic care is this field all the way over here, and medical care is this field. You know, medicine is all the way over here. When in fact, it all needs to come together and truly come together. And yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know how that's going to happen, but you probably have some ideas. No,
1: coming. there's a movement to that. I think there's a huge outcry for it. people are looking for it. I mean, the people that are here—they're not. You know, people are. I mean, there's still people, maybe the old schoolers that are still kind of stuck and give me the drug for the problem, let me go about my business so forth. But there's a movement, especially younger people. It's really interesting. Younger people are really enthralled in, you know, the holistic approach. But if you take a look at, to me, like if you look at um, cardiologists, I find that cardiologists – as far as doctors in the medical field they're way more acceptance of an integrative approach because they realize they know that that there's a limit right with all the technology exactly. we have and all the all the bypasses we're doing all these that might save your life right they're not making any inroads in decreasing cardiovascular disease it's still the number one killer at least in the United States it is yeah, and Canada equally and, and and women People think that it's a man's disease, and it is not. It's yeah. equally affecting women. Women don't know this. They're thinking like you know, breast cancer, but but, but they're, they're, you know, one out of three are going to die from a cardiovascular event. And so, cardiologists realize this, and they know that uh, that you know, just giving them blood pressure medications or heparin or blood thinners is not the answer. That they've reached their limit. They have mm-hmm. to integrate. You have to bring in lifestyle intervention. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's more about preventing it. It's still going to be needed to, you know, you know. I always tell people, if you're having a heart attack, don't come see me. Get to the emergency room.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: But my job is to prevent you from having in the first place.
2: Yeah.
0: And
1: my job is to make sure after that heart attack that you don't have another one.
0: Exactly. Right. And the thing is, the minute you enter into an emergency room with a heart attack, that the fascinating thing is that often they're giving you a lot of these micronutrients that we need in our diet that we're depleted from, like the magnesium, the potassium, the iodine, all of these things that are absolutely necessary for helping our heart function properly. And so, you know, that is, you know, the absolute like, you know, minimum requirement. And then, you know, of course, there's like these other pharmaceutical pharmaceutical meds that come in. But But, I mean, they're using pharmaceutical-grade nutrients. And this is the part that people need to understand is they they can definitely 100% prevent themselves from ever having to enter into an emergency room situation, literally just by having those nutritional needs met.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, just look at um, the awareness with COVID in the very early stages back in a year ago. It's a year ago, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, March, April, May, when it was just, I mean, chaos and the emergency rooms were filled and they didn't even know what to do and they started to turn as you said they started to turn to natural remedies or nutrition the main thing they started looking at was vitamin d
2: exactly how
1: all of a sudden they started doing intravenous vitamin d and it was preventing people from getting into the icus
0: Yep.
1: right and where they yep. learned that from they learned that from holistic natural doctors the exactly
0: Well, I think COVID, I know that, you know, obviously there's all the downsides of COVID and what's created, you know, global crisis and financial crisis and everything around it. But at the same time, I think it's been an incredible wake up call because we've received emails from government agencies saying, you know, how do we scale your programs to teach people how to eat better because of the fact that they recognize these comorbidity factors. I mean, they're all preventable. Right. And now for the first time, they, you know, to prevent this from ever happening again in the future, you know, we're seeing that they're taking this seriously, that now they really need to um, address, you know, the lifestyle factors around people. And it's not just, a, you know, eat a couple vegetables here and a couple of yeah, vegetables there. Because, it,
1: because, <laughs> because, then, because they're, they're also seeing it, not just because of the, the the health crisis itself, but they're seeing it as an economic crisis, right? Well,
0: It is. Yeah. It's it's still that's like, exactly you know, why it's happening.
1: Yeah, it's it's going to bottom out the economy, right? Exactly. Yeah, the health—it's always been that's been that writing's been on the wall.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Is you got you got to get people healthier. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, you know, it's like when you think about vitamin D, uh, it's like, well, what is vitamin D really doing, right? But it's really—I mean, it does a lot of things, vitamin D. But in COVID, right, it's it's the main thing. It's it's modulating the immune system response. Right? You know that it's modulating the immune system response. The problem that so many people have when they get into this crisis, people heard the term cytokine storms, right? Is when, you know, the, the virus is a vector. The virus, meaning a vector, people ask me, what does that mean? The virus yeah. is, The virus is, you know, <laughs> I apologize. The virus is a trigger. Right, like if you get stabbed with a thorn, it's a trigger, right? Your arm swells up, a painful, but that that swelling to the thorn is an immune system reaction. So if you get an infection with a virus, you're going to get an immune system reaction. Right, so that's appropriate. Let me give an analogy. I always tell people this because to me, everything comes down to the immune system. I'm learning this more and more, you know, with all kinds of chronic degenerative diseases. The common denominator to all of it is inflammation, and inflammation is the immune system. When I ask people, what exactly is inflammation? They say, I don't know. Well, I'm telling you, inflammation is an immune system reaction. Right, which is appropriate indications. If you tripped and you sprained your ankle and it swelled and it was painful, you'd go home and go home and you would elevate it and you would put an ice pack on it. And maybe you take an anti-inflammatory. All mm-hmm. right. And after a few days or a week, hopefully you see the swelling going down. It's still sore, but you're not packing ice on it and you're not taking Motrin. And you go about your business. So you got so your immune system is sending immune chemicals down there to clean up damaged tissue. But in a short while, you got the resolvement phase of that so that's appropriate but what would happen if six months goes by six years go by and you're still packing in an ice and papamotrin motrin mm-hmm. you, you would say something terribly is wrong here but that is that literally the very essence of what chronic degenerative disease is whether it's cardiovascular disease exactly. whether it's neuro- neurocognitive diseases like dementia and alzheimer's okay uh whether it's autoimmune diseases what it is it's all the immune system and it's not resolving it's in a constant perpetual state of inflammation so in the COVID scenario when you get infected right if you have an, an, an appropriate immune system response the immune system turns on appropriately but the problem for so many people is that that immune system is not calming down
2: exactly right
1: it's taking off right and because people have these underlying issues like diabetes and cardiovascular disease and obesity, what those people have already, the common denominator, is they're already pre-inflamed. Yeah. So it's almost like you have a, a boiling pot of water and you turn the temperature down just enough that the water's not boiling over, but the temperature's still pretty high.
2: Yeah.
1: And as soon as you bring a trigger and you turn it up a little bit, the water starts boiling over. Right, And that's kind of what happens in COVID, in the extreme cases. Right, So the immune system takes off. And now you have this overzealous immune system response. Vitamin D, you have regulating immune cells that's kind of communicating to this very complex system. And so what vitamin D can help to do is to turn on parts of the immune system that hopefully can kind of dampen some of that exaggerated immune system response. And that's what they were seeing in these, you know, ICUs. You know, so that's kind of how the role of where vitamin D kind of plays in.
0: Yeah, no. And, you know, and I love the analogy that you gave too, um, because people do need to understand that they can see it when it's physical, when it's topical, when it's on their skin, or, you know, for example, if it's like a painful ligament or tendon, but what they're not realizing is, you know, our whole entire body is connected. And so, you know, if you have this chronic, you know, swollen, tight Um, pulled tendon, ligament, whatever it is, you know, or bruise that you can see, people want to address it. They want to, you know, take care of it, make it go away. They're willing to get it treated. But the problem is it's when it's happening internally, they don't understand, for example, like the endometriosis and the heart disease, like you said, or the diabetes and high blood sugars um, and insulin resistance and all of that, that um, you know, it's it's much harder for them to see, so then therefore they don't feel that they have control over it or that there's anything that they can do, they don't even know to ask the questions like, Well, what can I do to turn this off? Um, and of course, because they're often being told there's nothing that they can do that once you get on the meds, you stay on them for life, but that is right. not true. Or once you get diagnosed, I happen to have the Alzheimer's gene, I've had the DNA test. Um, I talk about this a lot in the podcast, and often people will ask me, like, are you afraid? And I say, Well, no, I'm not afraid because I know what I need to do to be able to most likely right. live that diagnosis. Oh, wow. Like I will die of other causes before Alzheimer's even gets to me because I make, you know, lifestyle choices. They're going to really keep those genes um, subdued and turned off. So let's go back to that question because I know I said huh. I wanted to address that. So when you do get clients who have dementia and Alzheimer's, you know, early stages, mid stages, what is it that you're recommending for them?
1: Well, again, well, it all depends. The first thing I need to do is to paint a realistic picture or a realistic expectation as to what uh, is expected. All right? So, I'll, using a small example, the person who contacted him recently was the son-in-law, and uh, for the mother-in-law, and through the discussions, he you know, has been reading lots of information, a lot of books, and he's really proactive and he's really excited. He thinks that he can reverse this and get his mother-in-law back. To the shape that she was in, and like I had, I didn't have not met her yet, and I have not done my own neurological workup with her. But I'm just asking questions, you know, cognitive questions, simple mm-hmm. things. Can she remember names? Can she identify faces? Can she draw numbers? Can she draw a clock? You know, I mean, just little, little different things. Um, you know, she doesn't want to cook for herself. She doesn't you know. if She's in the kitchen. She doesn't know she should be cooking, right? So, like for example, in, in that initial workup, we didn't get to that point yet. She told me that the the wife told me that the mother-in-law, the mother was, the the neurologist said that it was early stage dementia and Alzheimer's. Okay, now Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. There's different kinds of dementia. So the more common form is going to be vascular dementia. Mm -hmm. But Alzheimer's is a progressive progressive disease. You're not Mm -hmm. going to just turn that off. All right, So in, in, in this case is when I started to ask questions, I said, you know, it sounds to me that this is a little bit past the early, early stages. But that said, if she's in stage four, there's still things that we can do. But I still want to present a realist expectation that we're not here to cure Alzheimer's. We're here to slow this progression down. But if we can come in and do things. So we want to work on two different levels. We want to work on one is we want to figure out all of the underlying inflammatory triggers so that's everything from her diet right to uh infections in her body imbalances in her gut microbiome hormone in- instabilities maybe even checking out for viruses healing things like her leaky gut certainly filling the tool with the right nutrients right but if you're looking at her again because it's inflammation you're still looking at her from an, inf- from an immunological perspective So the first key is how do we really calm down that immune system? Mm -hmm. How do we, the inflammation is gonna contribute to the progressive degeneration. So the first key is we gotta calm down the inflammation before we can kind of reset the tone for the body. Once we do that, then we need to come in and start applying what I call the functional neurological rehabilitation. And so there through the examination, Mm -hmm. we might wanna find out what regions of her brain are not performing as well as they should. So that's just through testing. So simple example and observation. So if a person says, "Well, I can't, um, um, I can, I can, I can see faces, but I can't recall the names," Mm -hmm. that tells me about a certain region of the brain. Okay, but then what we might do as an exercise is start to make those associations. So not to get too far into this, but what happens with neurons, right? So your brain is filled with these, these, you know, billions of neurons that are connecting to each other. So what happens in any style of progressive brain or cognitive decline, whether it's vascular, whether it's Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, right? There's variables, but these neurons start to lose the ability to communicate with each other. So it's harder and harder and harder for these neurons to talk, right? And as you lose neurons, you're not gonna get them back. So what you have to do is you have to bring in activation stimulation so that you can kind of stimulate surrounding neurons to start to reconnect. The analogy I get, this is the analogy. If a person is driving to my office and they know how to get to my office and then all of a sudden one day, they're driving to my office and there's a detour. They don't have GPS. So they're like, oh, I'm gonna be late for the appointment. And they're trying to find them making lefts and rights and rights. and they finally get to my office but I got there, you know, half hour late. Mm-hmm. Next time they come to the office, mm-hmm. same detour. If they do it a couple more times, it gets a little bit easier. But then all of a sudden, if the disease is progressing, they come to the office and now there's three detours.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now it's getting harder to find my office.
2: Yeah. Right?
1: right. But if we can deter and slow down so we don't put up more detours mm-hmm. and we can keep teaching them how to find and get to my office, right? By the practice of doing exercises to stimulate the areas that are weak, we can develop new connections. And right. so the, the, early, the earlier in the stages of this progression you get, the better the impact you're going to have. That's why if you get to a person that's very late in the stages, they have too many neurons that they've lost.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: like they have 20, 20 detours up. It's really hard to get it back. Right. So the earlier the intervention is, the better.
0: Yeah. So I love how you painted that picture. And, you know, one of the things that I love is that with neuroscience, it's still a relatively new field. There's still so much that, you know, is unknown about the human brain. And, you know, for any listeners out there, if you want a really good book to read, I love the book, The Brain That Changes Itself, just because it Mm -hmm. really shows the potential that is still waiting for us, you know, that, you know, right now, if you're living and it's 2021, 20, you know, in 20 more years, it's going to be like quite miraculous what we know, especially as we start to introduce you know, more metabolic nutritional therapies, uh, you know, and and other techniques into helping, you know, to really heal the brain um, and repair the mm-hmm. brain. And I know for a lot of my clients as well is, you know, and you work with people who have depression, anxiety, I'm sure panic attacks. And, you know, a lot of people still think that these things are permanent conditions. But what we do know is that we can reverse the symptoms, we can reverse um, these illnesses. And again, it still all comes back, it doesn't matter which disease we're talking about it really all comes back to exactly what you said it's our vascular health and it is the in chronic inflammation and when we can eliminate that chronic inflammation get our body to turn it off when it doesn't need to be on it's really amazing the results that we get so to not give up hope there's still there's still yeah a world waiting for us
1: the depression thing too it's like you know it's finally starting to be the old model is starting to be dropped Right, Mm -hmm. the old medical model is that it's always it's just a a chemical imbalance in the brain, and usually it's genetics and it's a chemical, and then we're going to treat we're going to manipulate those chemicals with drugs. Now we know, no, 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 we're not saying we know it's the new theory, which is the inflammation theory. Yeah, as a functional practitioner, right? Well, anybody's in the holistic world, we know that depression. Depression, my viewpoint, is a symptom. It's a symptom, right? It's really it's inflammation that is driving it. Yeah. But that means, right? It's in, But it's inflammation in the brain. So what I tell people is that when people come in to see me, and let's use that as an example, if they have anxiety, panic attacks, mood disorders, depression, uh, cognitive decline, ADD, ADHD, uh, just behavioral issues and changes altogether, or even degenerative diseases like Parkinson's as Alzheimer's, what I tell them is that what you're telling me Is that your brain is inflamed? Yeah, that's what you're telling me. Exactly. Okay. And I explained. And so, what does that mean? Well, I said, you know, well, the inflammation means is an immune system reaction. That's what causes inflammation. And so, if we're saying your brain's inflamed, then what we're saying is that there is an immunological reaction that's driving these changes. So now we can say that your depression is immunologically based. So my investigation is to figure out what is the immune system reacting to, what's driving that immune system, right? And there's going to be a multitude of different things that do it, right? Um, But uh, again, you you know, in your world, metabolic stuff, you pay a lot of attention to food and eating, Mm -hmm. right? Which is your gut environment. And we know we have a gut-brain access right and if i can just go off on this a little bit i know you know these things but it's no, always tell my, our tell
0: our audience yeah it's so nice it's, yeah. when they're they they do not always have to listen to me yeah, explain I it dis- i'm like i'm not all the right. only one i'm not the quacky person here believe me this is a real legit thing <laughs> yeah well first of
1: all science has said us this is why i tough. you science said to us 20 years ago maybe more than that that they discovered a super system to the body which is known as the neuroendocrine immune super system right of You know, ancient healing arts knew this 5,000 years ago, but somehow in Western medicine, we're just catching up, right? But what that means is neuro means your brain, endocrine is referred to as your hormone system. That's all your hormones. That includes your steroid or sex hormones, your estrogen, your progesterone, your testosterone levels. Uh, It includes thyroid hormones, it includes stress hormones like cortisol. It's the entire hormone cascade. And some say 70, some people argue 80% of your immune system is in your gut. So you have a brain Hormone, gut, slash, immune, super system. It's one system. Yeah. So you can't have dysregulation in your gut and not have impacts hormonally and not have impacts neurologically. It's just one integral, integral system, right? Um, but when I ask people about the gut environment, right? People tend to think that. Because I hear this all the time, they think like the gut environment is some sterile environment. They think that they get infected, that something outside is causing them to get infected. Sometimes it does, right, but they'll be gonna take an antibiotic, and the antibiotic will kill the bad guy, and after you know a week or ten days on antibiotics, they feel a bit better, and the bad guy is is gone, and now they go back to this clean, sterile environment, and off they go. And I'm like, well, that is really the farthest thing from reality. The reality is it's much more like a science fiction movie. There's yeah. just <laughs> right there's just trillions of organisms living down here. You know just you know billions of bacteria tens of thousands of viruses we live with viruses Uh, they're not all the enemy either right viruses have a vital role in how our genes adapt and do different things um we we have yeast and fungi and protozoa it's just this huge ecosystem and this ecosystem these these organisms play a vital role on our health and our brain function, our development. They control our hormones. They control our production of vitamins. Uh, and people don't even realize that they are con- they are literally controlling your genes. They are turning on and turning off gene expression. So this this gut environment has way more to do and whether you're going to get cancer or not. It's got nothing to do m- fully with your genetic predisposition, right? Like you were saying earlier about Alzheimer's, Right? It's your gut microbiome that's going to have much more of an impact over the progression of disease or whether you get it or not, whether you're that's going it. to turn on a genetic or expression or not. So it's, it's fine time that we start paying attention to that. Now, as, we, as you know, in the world of microbiome study, it's in its infancy. They, they are mm-hmm. still knowing like maybe 1% of what's going on there, but it's still the 1% that we know is pretty impressive. Right, it's pretty. It's oh,
0: it's so yeah. mind blowing, and yeah. I like. I love it. It's it's so exciting. And, it's,
1: and there's a lot of things that we look at this too. Now, just if I go on my little tangent here for a little bit, coming from my little you... background in functional neurology, uh, this always kind of blows people's minds a little bit because uh, most medical doctors don't even know this stuff. No,
0: they don't. Um, yeah.
1: Is with your your brain, your brain is a pretty fascinating organ. I <laughs> mean, It's like you think it, it runs the whole show. It's your greatest asset. And that's why I say you better protect it. It's your greatest asset. It's unfortunate. It's not to see people lose it. Um, But, you know, you have two halves of your brain. Even though it's one integrated brain, you have a right and left hemispheres, and they do work distinctively different. Um, And most doctors don't realize that your brain is primarily an immune organ. 90% of what your brain does is immune system function. 90% of the cells in your brain are immune cells.
2: Mm-hmm. Right?
1: But now you have these two different sides to your brain. So and this is kind of simply put. So you have your right hemisphere of your brain and your right hemisphere of your brain controls basically your autonomic nervous system. So basically everything that works autonomically or automatically and especially your gut is regulated by the right hemisphere of your brain. Okay, The and that is primarily your parasympathetic response. The So it's more of the brakes. Your right hemisphere acts more as a brake. The left hemisphere of your brain is more of the gas pedal. You have to work in synchrony, right? You don't want to drive a car and hit the gas without having brakes. That would not be a good thing, right? So you need to have both kind of working in, in tandem. Um, but what happens, what we see very often and this can happen very early in development too. I don't know how far you want me to get into this, but when Let's I- get yeah, into it. because I haven't heard,
0: it. I haven't heard it described this way with the gas pedal and the brake pedal. And I love this because I'm going to be using this. All right, so it, it,
1: so it correlates to, let me just, and if I'm not, if I'm kind of bouncing around a little bit, just stop me and, yes, and, and, and clarify. But okay. so if, with the immune system, I'm going back and forth here, but the immune system is really, really complex lot of moving parts to it a lot of communication parts but to make it as simple as possible for people to understand there's two main or significant divisions in your acquired immune system which we call the th1 side or t cells and your th2 side, uh, which are your b cells the th1 side of your immune system right has is made up of certain types of immune chemicals but their job really is kind of like moving around surveillance it's like a swat team kind of going around looking to see where the bad guys are right the problem is is that they don't really see really they don't see too well they're not really they can't really identify who's good and who's not so bad so the other division called the th2 side these b cells they're the ones that we that make the antibodies so when you hear about covid or getting a vaccination what we're trying to do, trying to activate these b cells to activate um uh, these antibodies and the antibodies then you know stick to a foreign protein and that tells the th1 guys oh recognize that something foreign and they can get a little more specific and go after that okay now the th1 or your immune system is not only identifying things that are outside of our body as foreign they also need to control things inside of our body that potentially are foreign Okay, so even like I'm saying, in your gut environment, we have the potentialities for these ecosystems to shift. So if our immune, if we're under stress, as an example, who's not under stress, right? Stress compromises the gut environment and the immune system response, and so the stress response can cause a a proliferation or an overgrowth say, of bad bacteria. Mm-hmm. Okay, so again, this is an ecosystem, right? You have good guys, you have bad guys. They all play a role down here, but as long as they kind of cohabitating, they can all kind of coexist, everything works nicely. But so many things in our daily lives, from blood sugar and stress factors, emotional stress, and poor dietary habits, and lack of sleep, and different things, causes this environment to shift. And it starts to shift in what we call Th2 dominance. So these factors, these stress factors, shifts our immune system, and pushes us into a Th2 dominant. Now, Th2 dominant environment is pro-inflammatory. Your immune system is now upregulating and it's driving inflammatory responses, but simultaneously, it suppresses that Th1 response. So now your Th1 is suppressed. So you lose your surveillance. You lose the ability to kill off things that are foreign, but that also includes things in our own internal environment. So when we have that, that we have this scenario. And we have a suppression of your TH1. Then, for example, we can't control yeast, and we'll have a propensity to have yeast overgrowth, or propensity to have, you know, what you call these bad guys, these gram-negative bacteria overgrowing. Well, the interesting thing is now, this shift takes place. So you go back to your brain, your brain, and your right hemisphere controls your. Um, uh, it's, I said it's your brakes but it's also controlling your autonomic nervous system but it's also controlling your TH1 system the right hemisphere of your brain drives your TH1 response the left hemisphere of your brain is driving the TH2 response so what we commonly see right is people's brains become hemispherically imbalanced mm. this is very upstream issues yeah. okay it's called hyperlexia and so their right hemisphere is underperforming they've lost the brakes and their left hemisphere is hyperfiring, okay? So what happens, those can lead to things like afib issues. Mm -hmm. It can lead to uh, reflex autonomic dystrophies. It can lead to chronic pain syndromes, right? But because the right hemisphere is deficient, right? You lose your TH1 and you can't then control the overgrowth of bad bacteria in your gut. So that's why lots of times people are coming in and they're doing all kinds of nutritional interventions And they're taking loads of probiotics, and yet time and time again, you keep retesting them, and they still got the overgrowth. And it's like, why is this happening? And one of the missing pieces here is that the right hemisphere wasn't addressed. There was nothing done to balance out that right hemisphere, so it's always putting that immune system in an imbalanced way, and it can't control the overgrowth.
0: Yeah. And I Thanks. love that you brought up the probiotic piece too, because we don't in very rare cases would we even use a probiotic way um at all and only because number one you're getting you know sure billions of you know, the quantity of a few strains versus you do have trillions of different bacteria and, you know, you need that diversity. And so we try and address that diversity, you know, in other ways, not through simply just popping a pill. But I do have to say about what you just said. So I'll tell you what arose for me as you were describing this, because I've never heard it described this way. And I love the analogy that you gave. Um, and, And it's that immediately I'm like, I want to come and work with you because I want the one hit wonder, like what is it that you would do to address and balance out the left and the right side? So I know most of us want that one hit wonder. We want the one treatment, like the, whether it's the cranial cycle or the energy work or the chiropractic adjustment or the pill, but how do you then work with your patients to be able to balance that out? And what does that look like?
1: That's a great question. And I tell you it's one of the more frustrating things I face is that that people are looking for, you know, the simple solution to complex issues. I know you you live with that every day. Um it's it's, you know, I, I understand it. I understand why they want that, but, but it's really, really frustrating because, you know, it's 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 complex. Um they want the they want the magic supplement. Or they want the one thing they can take out of their diet or add into their diet, mm-hmm. but it's not it's 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 not quite like that. But as far as your question about the hemispheres, um, as I was alluding to earlier, though, uh, when my, my early part of my career, when I was first looking at things from a neurological standpoint, even though I could identify which hemispheres were maybe not yet you know, maybe if which hemispheres might be underperforming. Mm-hmm. All right. It's not just the hemisphere itself, right? There's regions of the brain, whether it's the frontal lobe, whether it's the temporal lobe. I'm bouncing around a little bit. I apologize. But if you think about like say, depression, so depre- we know depression is a frontal lobe issue. It's not in other regions of your brain. So people think that you know anxiety and depression are two sides of the same coin. They're not, they're just they're neurologically different. Yeah. Okay, anxiety is taking place in the different regions of your brain, it's taking place lower in mid-centrals in the limbic system. Depression is not taking place in your limbic system, depression is taking place in the frontal lobe, and more specifically in the left frontal hemisphere, not in the right hemisphere, left frontal hemisphere, right? But I mean, you know, you look at things like your temporal lobes kind of above the ear. Okay, It's going to really be more for uh, short and long-term memory, but it's also we have our centers for hearing and for smell. Um, The back of your brain, the occipital region is more for vision. The whole brain is working as a whole, sending signals around. But uh, if I'm looking at them and evaluating somebody, I'm taking them through just what we call functional neurological testing. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that mean? If you go to a neurologist, a medical doctor, neurologist, what they're interested in is most medical doctors are, is in... Pathology mm-hmm. and so they want a couple of you know easy tests in the office, but basically they're going to rely on an MRI imaging right and the purpose of the MRI imaging is to rule out a pathology, a tumor or growth or a stroke. If they don't see that, they say that the, that the MRI is negative and just go back to your primary doctor. right but what we're talking about functionally is not a disease process in the sense of a tumor right, or a stroke injury, we're talking about that the, again, the neurons, these brain cells are unhealthy, so they don't have the energy to fire properly. Right. So there are MRIs that they use in, uh, in research called functional MRI imaging. They don't have it in the clinical setting, which I don't know why, but in the research is what they do is they actually, it's an MRI imaging, but they actually have people do tasks while they're doing an MRI engine. And when they do that, they can see how different areas of the brain are firing or, or not firing correctly. And that would show us where there are weaknesses in the brain. And what I do is in my functional workup is I can kind of imitate what the functional MRI is going to do. So I put people through tasks. It can be eye movement exercises, sound coordination movements, balance exercise, just by when a person comes into my office before I even meet with them, I'm analyzing all the intake paperwork. I could even just take a look at the intake paperwork and tell by their handwriting what areas of the brain are not firing correctly. I can tell by looking at their handwriting if their cerebellum of their brain is not going, if you see certain kinds of changes in their handwriting. So you start to do a neurological evaluation just from the very time they start to fill out paperwork. Well um, I
0: love this. I just have to interject here for two yeah. just two really quick stories. Number yeah. one in the brain that changes itself. Oh no, sorry, not that book. Um Brain on Fire. You know that was another great book where, and that's exactly what happened. Is a neurologist came in and had the patient who was, you know, expressing all of these basically psychotic episode like behaviors, and they couldn't understand what was wrong. And they basically had her draw. He had her draw a clock, and and she drew all the hours of the clock on one side of the clock, and Mm -hmm. that was his. That was how he was able to show that she had inflammation in one half of the brain and probably and even more wear in that portion of the brain and it was so like this one simple test didn't require MRI literally he had her draw a picture of a clock and then the other thing that I just had to address is, I've always been really curious as to why my handwriting changes so drastically. You know, based on whether I'm tired, I can guarantee it's based on what I ate the next, the day before, almost. And I've always been curious, and I've really noticed it since I was a little girl that I sometimes I would even write in the opposite direction. So, as a left-handed person, but writing with my right hand, Um, and so I have a feeling that that probably means yeah. So if your handwriting is. is yeah, By yeah.
1: You're, there's two things. If you're handwriting, there's several ways to analyze the handwriting. So if you're, handwriting, you're noticing your handwriting is changing after a period of time, there's a fatigue issue there. Yeah. So there, that's an endurance problem. Mm-hmm. That's, an, that's an indication of brain neurological endurance problem. That's your metabolic stuff right there.
2: Yeah.
1: So if you go into hypoglycemic states or even insulin-resistant states, right, there's, that's a fuel delivery problem. That's what you're noticing there, yeah. okay? Yeah, that, that's how that goes. If a person's handwriting is getting a little sloppy, right? there's some endurance problems, in but that's more related to the cerebellum that coordinates the movement. So let's yeah. say to me, like, you know, my handwriting is changing over the years. It's getting more, it's not legible any longer.
2: Yeah. That's
1: an indication of the cerebellum of their brain. Right. So, you know, yeah, like if you get into like some of these things, like here's a, a topic that I think is kind of an inter- interesting way to kind of tie a few things together uh, in this world. It's like a condition called PANDAS or PANS. You've heard that?
0: No, Pedi- I haven't. No, no, no. How do you spell it?
1: So there's two. A N S and P-A-N-D-A-S. Okay. That's Pediatric Autoimmune Neurological Syndrome. Disease or Psychiatric Disease. Okay okay so what happens here is that a a young kid gets a strep infection very common things people get a strep infection right but your immune system has to respond to the strep infection right so now your immune system is recognizing this strep infection those th2 uh paws are creating the antibodies and hopefully have a memory there but they create an antibody against the, the strep infection right but then very often that the child has a leaky You've heard of leaky gut you know, of course you've heard of leaky gut right and so all the things that contribute to leaky gut but the same factors that contribute to a leaky gut also contribute to leaky brain
2: exactly. because there's a
1: there's a barrier around your brain for your audience which is called the blood-brain barrier and the purpose of that blood-brain barrier is to keep things from getting inside your brain so if you get a respiratory tract infection that infection doesn't get to your brain that's important right but that blood brain barrier can open up very easily. I've had four concussions that I know of in my life playing sports. Mm-hmm. You get a concussion, the blood brain barrier opens up. So the toxins in me, the mercury in my body, from my dental fillings, goes to the brain. Exactly. Okay. But what's really important is not so much if it gets to the brain. The real question is is the immune system reacting to it? That's, I'm kind of bouncing around again, but that's the most important thing to understand. And there's a lot of people that worry about heavy metals all the time, right? Heavy metals, heavy metals, heavy metals. But it's like, you know, we all have heavy metals in us. The, 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 question, is, have, the question is, is your immune system reacting to it? That's okay. the problem. That's what we want to know. If there's no immune reactivity to it, then you just don't go chelating it out. You Leave it alone. Okay. Right? But with pandas, is you have an immune system it reacts to this strep infection. Pretty common. But if there is a breach in the blood-brain barrier, Right, then the immune system the antibodies cross-reacts with certain areas of your brain. Okay, So it cross-reacts with an area of the brain called the basal ganglia. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the basal ganglia that every brain has an influence over movements. So certain parts of your basal ganglia control the, the initiation of movement and certain areas of your bas- basal ganglia inhibit movement. So in order to actually be able to get up and walk down the street, you have to have both of those things walk, you know, working.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And in Parkinson's disease is a disease where there's degeneration of the basal ganglia, right? And so you'll start to see things in the early stages where maybe they can't move so well. You'll see, so when people have a tremor, resting tremor with Parkinson's, mm-hmm. what that is, is a degeneration of the basal ganglia and, the, and, it, and you're not inhibiting the movement. If I put my hand there, it should be steady. But if I can't inhibit that, it just keeps moving on its own. So that's a sign of basal ganglion demise, right? Mm-hmm. In later stages, you'll see a person with Parkinson's and they can't initiate movement. They try to get up and walk and they can't get going. And then they can't, it's very sad, right? Or well, they can't, they call it a stone face, right? They can't make facial expressions because they don't have that initiation of movement. But in pandas, okay, what happens is the immune system is reacting to strep. And this is the complication with the immune system, right? It's like it reacts to strep, but it cross reacts with an air of the brain, meaning that it, meaning that this air of the brain, the tissue, the basal looks similar to the strep. I know that sounds crazy, but the immune system can't differentiate it. So now it's reacting to that. It goes yeah. a little bit further. It goes a little bit further, right? So then the child starts to develop. The mother says to me, okay, well, my kid got the strep infection. And, you know, three months later, this kid has like, you know, almost like Tourette's syndrome. Yeah. Can't stop moving, has all kinds of blurts and tick movements and stuff like that." Right, and then you have another. Then you have food cross reactivity. So then your person, do you have? So okay, well, we know that the the person now develops a immune response to gluten. So gluten, as you know, right, is a protein yeah. found in wheat, rye, and barley. So it's very reactive to so many people, but it has cross reactivities with the basal ganglion. So because the immune system now has put an antibody against the basal ganglion, when the child is eating gluten, the immune system is eating gluten, and it's, cross reacting, and it's causing more destruction to the basal ganglion, and that child's neurological signs and symptoms are progressively getting worse. Mm-hmm. And they're going to neurologists who are just saying, we don't know, or medicating yeah. them. right? But now you're, having a, now you're having a progressive connection between the food proteins that they're eating, turning on their immune system, causing more aggressive destruction to their brain. And the same thing can happen with Alzheimer's disease. I ran an Alzheimer's panel on myself, not the gene test. Mm-hmm. You ran the gene test, right? Yeah. It, it, like you said, I agree. If I had a gene test and it said I had a seventy-five percent predictability for developing Alzheimer's, I'd be like, "Oh, that, that's terrible." But what could I do to express the twenty-five percent? That's what I would want to know, right?
2: Exactly.
1: So when I ran, when I when I start running the antibody profile against Alzheimer's and I look at these markers. It's telling me whether my immune system is identifying something. So, for a small example, cross-reactivity. I kid you not. It's canned tuna. We know that canned canned tuna, canned tuna fish specifically, not fresh tuna. Canned tuna fish is a cross-reactor with amyloid beta in the brain.
0: Hold on. So this. So let's just. We have to go back and slow this piece down, and explain it a little bit more. So you ran what test on yourself?
1: I ran a test. It's called called an Alzheimer's link panel. It's it's through Cyrex Laboratories.
0: Okay. So an Alzheimer's link panel, and this Mm -hmm. is looking for the antibodies?
1: So, yeah, it's so, again, it's what you really want to know when you're Mm -hmm. testing. Well, you're testing food, you're testing viruses, you're testing body tissues, autoimmunity. You gotta know, that's what I'm saying, it's all about immunity. You gotta know if there's mm-hmm. antibodies against certain things. Right. If there's antibodies against, I'll come back to the uh, Alzheimer's in a second, like, I'm gonna use thyroid as the easiest example. If yeah. you have antibodies against your thyroid gland, your immune system has tagged, has produced an antibody, it's an immune marker, right? It's tagging that gl- tissue with an antibody. Your medical doctor wants to
0: destroy it.
1: Well, well, it just puts an antibody there.
0: Okay.
1: Doesn't want to destroy it right away. It just okay. puts an antibody there. It's a marker. Medical doctors say to you there's no known reason for what causes autoimmunity and there's no known cure for it. So we don't do anything about it. That's why they rarely run run the markers. All they're gonna do is just medicate as the destruction moves on. They keep increasing your medication, your synthroid, okay. as the destruction goes on. But the real problem, as they tell people, is it's an immune game. Right, your, your thyroid is your immune system is attacking your thyroid. Now you can have an antibody sitting against your thyroid for decades. Remember, it's your TH1 system and another one called the TH17 system that actually upregulates the immune system to cause the attack against the thyroid.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: that could sit there for decades quietly. So the antibodies can be sitting. That's why something comes along, something happens to somebody. Very often, if a woman says to me uh, she's married and she says I had a child, and ever since I had this kid, you know, eight years ago, twelve years ago, my health has been declining. Yeah, I don't need a fancy test. She just told me she's autoimmune. Exactly. It's like I know it. She's yeah, telling Hashimoto's me Hashimoto's
0: or something like whatever that. Whatever it is,
1: that, that yeah. was the event that turned on those antibodies. Could be sitting sitting there dormantly for a long time. Yeah. Um, again. I just bear with me for a second because it's in context of this just give you a story you asked me for stories so yeah. two two years ago one of my patients been me for a very long time she started with me for Lyme and different things and you know she always said that I saved her life and maybe so but um um she um uh, had one day she called me she was in the gym working out with her husband Right. And uh she have a trainer, she works out like crazy, she's good, she eats well, all those different things. And she was just ex- exhausted, she could not continue. Didn't know just really couldn't function. So I take her to the emergency room. They ran a bunch of tests. They said, No, no, no heart attack. Uh maybe you just overexerted yourself. And she calls me and she's telling me this. And when I heard that I said, It sounds to me like you had a heart attack. Okay. Obviously, it's, you know, it's the number one killer for women, right? I said, it's not like I had a heart attack. And she's like, well, no, 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 you know, the emergency room said no. It's okay. She went to go see her primary doctor who ran an EKG, and she said the markers looked like I had a heart attack, okay? But that was the end of it, right? And then she went back and started working with the train and I did a few things. Now, she travels around with her husband her business. So, fast forward two years, two years, presently, this past summer. She's down, uh, I'm outside of New York City. She's just in the, down to Jersey Shore, a couple hours south little vacation home and she calls me and she tells me that she is feeling awful that she has her, the entire right side of her body is, is pain mm-hmm. her head her shoulders her abdomen her leg all right-sided I'm like mm, that doesn't sound good right when i hear all right side of the body i'm still thinking about brain in that case Exactly. i'm not thinking about a ridiculous pain down the arm right i'm so okay but i know this thing i'm like you know signs for heart attacks for women are a lot different than men it's not the same kind of signs but i know the same like you got to go get a blood test immediately so she goes to get her blood test and this is a long story she goes to get Yo, her blood, tell it. she goes to get her blood <laughs> test and it comes back and her liver enzymes are stratospheric
2: mm-hmm.
1: you're almost 700 for alt and ast i almost fall out of my chair i mean that's hepatitis territory that, yeah. that, that could even be liver cancer territory
2: yeah
1: Right, so to the primary, all upset, concerned. As we fast forward through this whole process, she gets to go to in New York City, NYU, um, to a liver specialist who starts to run tests on her, biopsies, CAT scans, all those different things. Right, and what they feel is that, and I was, and, and meanwhile I'm saying to her. You know this does sound to me like autoimmunity against your liver and it sounds as if you're at the jersey shore you're in the ocean a lot there's a lot of viruses and parasites maybe you got a triggering virus or something that turned turn this thing autoimmune on blah, blah 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 so she finally comes full circle and the um the uh, liver specialist comes up and says that you have what well, he feels is autoimmune liver Okay, and then wants to put her on steroids, which you know, apparently, you have to get the autoimmune count down. Yeah. But the liver specialist was also on board with what I was doing, was very pleased with what I was doing. But now, what we did is we decided in this interim to start to run some antibody testing to dig a little bit deeper. This is where I was trying to get with this. And so, uh, the first thing we did is we ran a panel uh, against like 36 different tissues in the body. Okay, and when that test came back. I almost fell out of my chair. Okay. She had like 18 different tissues that she had antibodies against. Mm -hmm. So she had antibodies against her thyroid. She had antibodies against her bone. And she had, and guess what? And she had antibodies against her heart muscle.
2: Of course.
1: So when I saw the antibodies against her heart muscle, I I just looked at it and I said, proof positive, you had a heart attack two years ago. And it was autoimmune-driven. So a lot of times, too, when it comes to, you know, cardiovascular disease with women, you know, we often think that it's always vascular-induced, but sometimes it is not vascular-induced. You can still have a heart attack and have clean arteries because this is different. This is an autoimmune-driven thing, right? And so then we ran, in her case, we ran a pathogen profile. Okay. Okay? And it came back, and she had high elevation of antibodies against herpes viruses cytomegaloviruses, Epstein-Barr viruses, Borrelia for Lyme, all of these things were high enough that they were activated, right? So a lot of those viruses I sent to you early in the show, right, like Epstein-Barr virus, herpes virus, these are latent viruses, they lay dormant. So all of her stress with her business and running around and traveling, and she's got a lot of personal stress with her kids and different things, Mm -hmm. turns on these viruses. Turned on all the antibodies that were inherent there, and off she goes to the races. So the go, so going forward, right, is to make sure. That's say most of what I do is to educate people, right. right? Because they have to. Because it's to empower people. Because she has to understand, and she does, right? That if she doesn't, <coughs> if she's not really taking control over her immune system and modulating our immune system response, you're not going to take a a pencil eraser and erase away the antibody from your heart muscle. That is there for the rest of your life, right? (coughs) So that's the power point. You got to know how to modulate the immune system to do that. That's why back to your world with the gut, since 80% of your immune system is in your gut, that's a pretty important place to pay attention to right but it gets into this whole world and the complexity and that's what gets to be really a struggle of all this cross reactivity with things Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right and so it's like okay you know i have a virus you know i have a virus that cross reacts with you know myelin sheets right and ms uh, yeah yeah you take things like uh polio virus cross reacts with myelin sheets and things right so um you know, Epstein Bar viruses, you know, there are viruses that course that, that that course react with the mitochondria of cells. Right. Right. Okay. So uh, yeah. so I
0: have to jump in here because go go go. Ahead. And it's interesting. It looks like I'm crying <laughs> because I'm just <laughs> choking on some air. Um but also it's interesting. I wouldn't surprise be surprised if this is an emotional response right now. And only because as you described this woman, like really busy with her kids and really busy with her business and right. Um, you know, I don't know if you know, but I'm right now training. I train in your website yeah. yeah, to run and bike across Canada. I have three kids. I have multiple businesses. Yes, for sure. I have a lot of stress in my life, despite like knowing how to breathe and manage and do yoga and eat well and all of that. Like, I know there's a lot of stress for sure. Um, But I was like picturing myself running across Canada, having multiple little minor heart attacks and all of a sudden, you know, feeling a little bit, I have to admit, feeling a little bit scared. So what is it? So I'm going to personalize this entire podcast now to be about me. So what is it that you, how did you educate this woman? Like, what are the actions that she took where she then came back to you and said, you like saved her life. So I want to know.
2: And I'm sure our
0: audience is like, okay, that's great. But what do I do? That's what they want to know from you.
1: I mean, she's been with me for a lot of different years, for a lot of years, and she's already kind of living a healthy lifestyle. But it's what I'm saying to you, even when you live a healthy lifestyle. Um, So uh, let me me try to give some context here. So like Mm -hmm. using you as an example, right? And I'll use a comparison. So a, a woman comes to me, she's, this is very recent. She is 51, divorced, raising two kids, she's stressed out because one of her kids is going to go to Japan in the Navy and going to be there for six years. Um, she works a job there. She works, you know, eight hours, nine hours, 10 hours a day, six days a week. But she used to be a bodybuilder. Now she isn't, but exercising is really part of a thing. And she does personal training. Mm-hmm. Um, let me give it. So her symptoms is that she has a, for most of her adult years, this is going back over 20 years, I, it's in my daily migraines. I don't know how a person lives like this. Yeah. I mean, to me, headaches are like one of those things, like whew. right? But I mean, and I even said to her, I said, have you been clinically diagnosed with migraines? And she says, migraines. And she says, literally on a daily basis, some days worse than others, but I, I, I whew. right? Chronic fatigue, she's diagnosed with fibromyalgia, all kinds of pains, daily headaches, gastric problems, Okay, She has uh, constipation is a problem, depression. Who wouldn't be depressed? Exactly. Right. A medical doctor would just say you're depressed and put you on an antidepressant medication, which she's, yeah. she's tried those things, right? But this is how she's kind of living. I forget a bunch of other symptoms. So she's working with me. She's under my care now four months, right? And uh, this is not typical for somebody with this kind of severity, but no migraines. mm mm-hmm. And I said to her, you know, you have you you were living with migraines for 20 years. And now you tell me you haven't had a migraine in over four weeks. Yeah. She's so like, yeah. Um her, her dizziness is gone. Uh her, her pain is almost zero, from zero to ten, it's almost like zero. And this is not, I'm this is not typical. I mean, people take much more than three or four months typically. But these are the kind of inroads. But see, one of the key things I'm talking about, I'm just saying it to you, is she used to get up too because she was training people. She was a trainer for people. um She was getting up at four o'clock in the morning because she wanted to go to the gym. That was really important to her. And she would go to the gym and she would exercise and then she would train one or two clients and then she'd head to work. And I'm like, well, what time are you going to bed at night? All right? And you're getting up at four o'clock in the morning. And when you go to the gym, are you even eating any food before you go to the gym? I, I, yeah. I'm like, is your blood sugar too low when you go to the gym? I'm like, you know. Like what I'm getting at is that her stress level is through the roof. And it's not just emotional stress. Now we're talking about physiological stress, right? Because of lack of sleep, stress from overtraining, because she was overtraining, because she wants to lift heavy. She's still caught up in that mentality, right? But Mm -hmm. she's she's working out almost every day. Then she's going to work. And then maybe her blood sugar is not correct. So now what she's doing is she doesn't have that recovery period. Anybody who exercises, the recovery period is more important important. than the training part. Yeah. And she doesn't have that recovery point. So her body now is going into crisis mode and she's pumping out stress hormones. And those stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline are having collateral effects. And those are now dysregulating her estrogen progesterone relationships. It's it's, it's causing depletion of estrogens, shifting into testosterone dominance. These things are having an impact on her brain. Her brain's becoming inflamed. Her brain is now shutting down her gut, right? Because of that yeah. access. So now her gut's becoming dysbiotic. Now she's getting overgrowth of yeast and uh, overgrowth of bacteria. It sounds overwhelming, right? And it is. Mm-hmm.
0: But, but it's all connected. It's, all, it's connected. all connected.
1: So you just can't say to her, oh, here's your handful of supplements and I'll see you in six months. No, yeah. no, you got the big picture. So the first thing I had to do is to, on on a number of occasions educate her, reinforce her, support her, and get her to change her actions as far as the exercise was going. Because she was killing herself with trying to be healthy,
2: yeah.
1: right? not doing, it. now she still goes to the gym, she, but she does it differently. She gets her blood sugar under control. Mm-hmm. She eats when she's doing that. She doesn't take on as many clients and she's not working out as intensely. She's changing the, the style of exercising right Right. so instead of going so heavy it's higher reps and doing any I mean still changing exercise protocols you put a lot of emphasis on her gut environment and yes we come in with certain types of nutraceuticals it's it's not cookie cutter yeah i mean you everybody's, know, everybody's everybody's different. different everybody's <laughs> different and also it's like you know what can a patient manage so some people you know they they take you give them three products and they're overwhelmed okay You can't go further than that. Other people can take 20 products. Then there's also a budget. How much can people afford to do and not afford to do? So you have to try to kind of, what I always say, kind of biggest bang for the buck, right? Even when it comes to functional laboratory testing, like there's a lot of functional lab testing out there. They're all really good. They all have value to some degree, right? But I explain to people, there's no one lab test that gives you all the answers. It doesn't exist. I wish it was, but it doesn't exist, right? Uh, So you got to kind of pick it apart a little bit. And my, what I try to do is to figure out which tests or combinations of tests are going to give us the biggest impact, the most information, and we can take action on it, right? It's like uh, there are some tests I'm like, you know, I don't, you know, we can do it. I don't think it's a high priority because it's not going to change our action.
2: Exactly. Okay?
1: Now, some people are test people. So I'm like, okay, let's run the test. If you, need it, if you need me to do a test to prove you have a gluten sensitivity, let's do it. Yeah. Or you can take my word for it.
0: Yeah, and I'm somebody who would do the test because I'm data-driven and I love to see data on paper. I can also afford it, you know, not entirely but I can afford it. So then I'm going to do that. And also it motivates me when I see data. So some people need that. Whereas a lot of my clients, they're just like, tell me what to do and i'll do it and i'm like really yeah, just yeah, yeah. tell you exactly. what to do so you have to know yourself as a patient when you go in and work with somebody as well what is it what is it going to take to make you to motivate you to make the changes and know yourself and go in there and i love what you said about You know, some people don't like taking multiple pills and they just can't coordinate themselves to do that. So it's important to let your practitioner know these things too. So you're not walking out of there spending all this money and then you're not going to take it. And that happens all the time. So patients need to take a really active role in their own, um, you know, management and self care as well and to know to communicate these things to their practitioner.
1: This is where I take responsibility to a degree because it's really important. Oh, it's really important that 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 the patient or the client, you know, uh, has to. My viewpoint have to understand it, like you're saying, you're data driven, so you want the test to show why you need to do something. That's and I think that's wonderful. And as you just point out, but not everybody can pay for all of the tests. Exactly. Right. Um, but if it's if it's if it's taking a supplement or even making a lifestyle change, I spend the enormous amount of time. I should delegate some of this, uh, but explaining to them why. I want them to understand what the product is even for. What it's trying to accomplish. If they do, if they understand it, they're more likely to, to be more compliant with it, and a lot of you know back you know and support with that. But too, the other point is too is that still it's you have to work in a hierarchy, which is there's no way of supplementing your way out of, of bad lifestyle choices. So yeah. there would there would have been no degree of supplement I could have given this lady, for example, if we didn't make an adjustment with her stress factors and her exercise and recuperation and blood sugar levels and those things right and and the dietary changes there's no supplements you're going to do to give somebody those 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 things so you gotta i always say you have to macro manage before you micromanage.
0: Yeah, exactly. Those are
1: the key things, right? And then, But you still got to do some micromanaging, but you got to do the big stuff first.
0: Yeah, and it, it takes important. a lot of concerted effort too. And so for everybody who's listening out there, I know I keep asking, you know, uh, Dr. Preachy, I'm like, okay, so what's? how do we do this? Like, what is the, you know, one hit wonder? What is the three steps that I'm supposed to follow? And, you know, and and there is no answer like that. And so knowing that your body is one whole entire complete system and you live in the context of a much greater, environment, like your work, your family, your exercise, your hobbies, everything like that. Um, You absolutely need to have um, a a full plan, a holistic plan. And for example, my plan, you know, when I look at what I need to do every day, it's, you know, for some people, it might seem overwhelming, but at the same time, I won't get the results unless I address my sleep my mindset, my stretching, my strength training, my endurance training, you know, and then my nutrition and then my relationship with my family. Like if I do not have family time, that, that for me, causes a lot of stress. So I can not... It, you know, actively engage in training if I haven't had that time with my kids and connected to my husband. And then of course there's connection to my community as well. Like that is another big part. If I feel like I'm uh. disconnected from my community, then it actually puts stress on all other areas of my life as well. And it's not like a stress, like an anxiety or anything like that. It's for me, it's that just a general knowing that my life is out of balance. And so, you know, when you're looking at this, so many people put all emphasis in one area thinking that's going to be like, if I just get eight hours of sleep a night, that's going to be fine. But that's not the case. You right. have to address all areas simultaneously.
1: Yeah, that's why you can use, you know, other disciplines to support you. If, um, you know, meditation and yoga, <clears throat> for a lot of people is quite helpful right? Um, working with nutritional people can be quite helpful. But yeah, I mean, if you take, for example, what you're doing, this, when is your competition? When is your race across the, is it a competition or it's just your own so 30.
0: yeah so I'm it's actually part of my PhD research so I'm actually running from uh, Victoria British Columbia all the way to St. John's Newfoundland so 7,120 kilometers 4,400 <laughs> miles and running and biking and so I'm, I'll am i be doing a half marathon every day for 75 days and I'll be doing 80 kilometers of biking a day as well in addition so
1: half a marathon was that thirteen yes. miles or something? Yeah, half a half a miles, not kilometer. Uh, ha- half a marathon every day.
0: Yeah, for seventy five ah. days. Yeah. So here's what it is that I'm. So I'm doing this for it's to raise awareness about food as medicine and reversing uh, type two diabetes amongst BIPOC communities across Canada. So, but w- but I'm coupling everything basically. And the reason we're doing this is because. Um, I'm also looking at diet on my own health and, and on this extreme endurance training. So using fully plant-based whole food, unrefined food diet to fuel me. So I'll be getting, um, every few days I'll have over 700 different protein markers tested. I'll be, I'm working with the Appalachian State University. They're going to be looking- It's blood okay. testing. Yep. Blood testing. And I'd love to talk to you about other tests that I could run along the way as well to test for, for example, antibodies. Like we haven't thought about testing for antibodies against certain
1: things you oh, should test your hormones, wouldn't it too?
0: Yeah, and test my hormones, you know, I'll probably get a couple MRIs done, uh, just to look at, you know, so looking at different imaging and lab testing, um, and really just to see what effect it has on my immune system, because this has been done on individuals who follow an animal based diet. um, And we've seen that people who do engage in endurance training, um, and a lot of athleticism, whether it's um, endurance, or um, what would be the opposite of endurance, Um, hardcore, like strength, I guess kind of high intensity. High intensity, Yes. Thank you. High intensity, short
1: short bursts.
0: Exactly. And we do know that it does affect your immune system. And so what I'm trying to see is does a plant-based diet affect it differently?
1: Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was going to say like, you know, in part of this is that when are you going to be doing this?
0: Oh, June 1st. I leave
1: June 1st. And so where you are in February, right. And you started your training when,
0: uh, about a year, December 2019.
1: Okay, for your audience, I'm making this point for your audience, Yeah, which is you have a goal. Yes. You have a goal that I'm going to do this this 7,000-mile journey, right? biking and, 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 and running, and we're going to be testing all these markers and all these different things, which is you know quite a feat, but you have to train for it.
2: Yes.
1: You're just not going to wake up one day and start to go 7,000 miles, yeah. unless you're Forrest Gump.
0: yeah (laughs) unless you're forrest gump right but he even he started running quite slow you know it wasn't like he. yeah exactly that's
1: right he ran his block back and forth then he ran the neighborhood right yeah but no but 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 you my point is is that it's a it's a journey right in other words you have a goal i this is my vision i want to get to this place i want to be able to do this i'm starting my training a year and a half in advance and i gotta do I'm not running a half a marathon every single day. I'm, whatever your training module is, right? But you're, you're building strength. You're building endurance. You're building resiliency here. Right? So that finally you can do something. It's no different than anybody's health journey. That's why it's not about coming in and saying, I got 20 years of these health issues going on and all these different things that are happening and say, is there some magic supplement or just some magic thing I can do to make a difference? No, it's a process, right? That we gotta go through to get division is how what's the quality of the life that I wanna have? Right? We know the we know what we don't want. Yeah. <laughs> we know what we don't, we don't like feeling the way that we feel, right? Yeah. You know, but what do we really, really want, right? So, I mean, in, in your own personal journey, right? You as you said, you're a mom, you have connection to your husband, you got connections to your community, uh, you're you're you've got businesses that you're doing, you're doing this great challenge, you're you have all these different things that you're doing. You're living a you're living a full life. You're living a vital life. You're expressing who you are. That's where the greatest joy comes from, is it not? The greatest exactly. joy is when we're expressing who we are. It's like Michelangelo always said. When it was asked Michelangelo, how did, you, how did you sculpt David out of a block of marble? And his answer was what? David was always in there. I had to chip away the excess. Exactly. Inherently, we all know that about ourselves. We all know that there's some greatness in there, some greater, higher purpose and somehow our disappointment we never really express those things right and so when people are living a life when they're chronically tired and fatigued and moody and depressed and have headaches and joint pains and fibromyalgia and they're stressed out and they know they're not being the best mom they could be and they're not being the best spouse they can be and they're not making the best you know business decisions or they're it's it's, that's depressing right and we want to be able to have and live our lives and, and challenge ourselves in in different ways a lot of things that I'm doing now present in my practice is that I've transformed my whole life. I've transformed my practice. COVID has forced me to do this. Mm. There are so many things that I'm doing now that is out of my comfort zone. right? Okay. I way out of my yeah. comfort zone, right? But I have to do it. And that's part of growth. And then you get more inspired and more excited. And then you begin to see and learn new things about yourself. Right? There's always these processes and these journeys, but you have to, so when you start getting healthy, and you start making these journeys and you're, you know you're working through a process, and if you kind of see the, you know, the vision at the end, what are you looking to achieve? How is your life going to be when you have energy? What are the things you're going to do? What's your relationships okay. going to be, and if you can kind of focus on that and get assistance along the way, and have the right people in your corner, the right people that are supporting you and encouraging you, and whether it's your medical team, whether it's your holistic team, whether it's your spouse and your kids, these are important things. One of the first questions I want to know when somebody sees me, because it's usually women more than men that I see.
2: Yeah, I bet.
1: And it's always the case. Women are always, you know. Uh, but you know, the first thing I want to know is 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 how on board is your husband? yeah you know with lifetime changes you know we're is, is, we going to talk about all these things that we need to do dietary wise and an investment in yourself and is your husband on board and going to support with these changes because if your husband's not supporting you and your husband's poo-pooing it and saying no 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 you know i don't want you to waste your time and your money with me because exactly. it's not going to work because that's going to pull you in a different direction and you're not going to follow through and so it's hard when you can't get people on board but we need support mechanisms Right. Exactly. And again, your community, and your kids and these different things. Right. I'm, um, you know, we're, we're human beings and we're complex species. Yeah. We've evolved to be very complex species. Yeah.
0: And it's we don't live incredible. in a Petri dish at we all. We don't
1: live in a Petri dish. Right. <laughs> and we are spiritual beings. Right. Yes. We are connected to spirituality. We're connected to individuals. That's why it's hard with COVID. We don't have that human to human contact. Right, we we do these things. We're living lives now where we are more sedentary, more computer driven. But the body is evolved to move, and we're not exercising and moving the way that we want to. Right, we're indoors more. We're not getting outside and getting sunlight. We're not designed for these things. Right, but so we are complex people, and you got to look at the whole picture when you're really working with somebody. I can just end. You know, I have a. I'm in practice for a long time, I'm doing this functional medicine for a long time. And I do have, you know, I would say a lot of people that come to me that have been to other functional, holistic, integrative doctors, yeah. And they come in here and they drop a stack of tests on my desk, yeah.
2: Right?
1: And they have all these tests that are run. They have tests that I would run. And I'm like, well, what's 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 going on? Like, why well, what's why are you not getting any change? What's happening? Why are you seeing me? Right? And you know, I guess some of the differences is what I'm, I'm explaining to you is that you know the doctors are not. They're not connecting the dots. They don't really know how to interpret the tests. They don't know how to apply what's important to the test and what's not important to the tests. You know, in in you know, in my experience, I'm not tooting my horn here, but I'm the only thing that mattered a long time, is you know, I'm practicing functional medicine a heck of a lot different today than I did 10 years ago. Right? So it's a new profession. So when doctors are transitioning into funk like a lot of medical doctors that transition to functional medicine. What they do is they run a couple of functional tests, right? but they don't really know what to do with it. They throw a couple of supplements at somebody, but they're still really looking at and treating the person from a medical viewpoint.
0: Oh, yeah, and a lot of people will walk out with a prescription. They won't walk out with supplements. They'll walk out with a prescription because they'll see your TSH levels are high or they'll see Yeah, I mean,
1: sometimes the medication is necessary too, but I'm saying, but they still look at it through a medical lens, you know, and, and, and that's what's different, right? Or a person is getting into this world and they run a couple of lab tests and they're just going by what the lab recommends. And they're not thinking through the whole picture. And they're not really listening to the patient. You know, one of the problems you see in medicine, right, you go to a medical doctor and the whole time they're looking at the computer and typing in notes yeah to, to cover for their malpractice stuff right
0: yeah
1: to, to document the visit
0: yeah versus like, looking am, at their handwritten i am chart yeah like i am the,
1: <laughs> i am the world's worst note taker
0: yeah
1: i am the world's worst yeah. it gets me in trouble all the time right when i'm yeah. talking to patients i can't write anything down i'm just looking and talking to somebody yeah Right? And then when I go back, I'm like, hey, oh, I didn't write any notes down. What I, what I do last yeah. visit? Oh, goodness gracious. Right?
0: But this is but- how doctors used to practice. I read, you know, I love reading um, narrative about narrative medicine and, you know, narrative medicine is such a beautiful um, field that really complements functional medicine in just the sense that you're allowing the patient to tell their story. You're asking them questions where they can, you know, reveal themselves through stories about their life. You know, it might be about how they sleep or their relationships or their community or that they hate right. their job or their... That they, you know, uh, are really worried about their kids or whatever it is. And this can tell, you know, a doctor so much. But doctors often, you know, prior to the 70s, prior to a lot of these thyroid tests, um, you know, they would actually, you know, shake the patient's hand, put their hand on their shoulder, feel if their skin was clammy, they would look into their eyes, they would see their tongue as they were talking. And all of these things are indications of, you know, that can help contribute to actually, um, you know, coming up with a plan for the patient versus, yeah, yeah. you know, when you're staring at your computer. And I think this is the number one thing we have to get away from is having doctors that yeah. literally have to, and maybe even have a, somebody else note taking while the doctor's interacting with the patient could be a simple solution to that.
2: Sure, for
0: sure, it might cost more a little bit, but in the end, though, it's going to reduce our overall medical, you know, expenditures because we're going to be able to get to the root cause of people's problems. Better healthcare. Okay. Better healthcare. Yeah, not sick care.
1: Better healthcare.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh, I feel like I can talk to you all a day. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. days and days. We like-minded, have so many things.
1: We're like minded. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel like we've also there's so many things you said that you know gave me shivers. I feel like we've been living parallel lives and, um, in so many ways with how we interact with our with our patients and clients. Um, so as we're going on nearly two hours here because we could talk forever, what are some of the there's still still so many stories to tell. And I'm gonna have to have you back on the show because there's so many pieces of you know that we didn't even get into. Yeah, yeah. But how what what how what information would you like to leave with our audience? Cause I know we have people listening right now that are like, oh my gosh, I love this guy. He lives in New York. Um, you know, how do I work with him? Number one, but what are some tips that you have for people who might not be able to get you as a you know practitioner? How can you encourage them to take that first step to truly realizing the root cause of their health issues, and so that they can have them properly addressed?
1: That's a good question. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, if they if they're not able to work, I mean, I do work virtually for COVID, and I've changed transition my practice to 90 percent virtual so that's opened up a whole awesome. new world for me which is pretty cool uh, but i think for you know the first thing is you know is that people are what i find are, are, are self, people who are listening to your podcast are probably not people that are reliant on the traditional medical model they are people that are health seekers that are looking to be proactive And that's the first thing, right? I want to be proactive, right? So very often we need to get information and there's no shortage of information out there. I do think that sometimes people can get into information overload and they can get that sort of, you know, paralysis to analysis uh, type of mentality. Um, I I think that people can get, especially with the internet, they can can start to bounce around too much. They can start to listen to too many people and get too much information and not be able to, follow through on something i think that you know if you can find someone that you're resonating with whose message is good is clear is, is give it a, stick stick with it and don't try to listen to so many other things right um but again take personal inventory on the basics that we just talked about stop with you know personal you know when, when, you, when i ask people questions in the office most people can almost tell me what the problems are They'll, they're gonna know they have sleep problems. You know, they know what this right now those things are easy to say you know but how do you resolve sleep I mean that's one of the most critical things people need to do.
2: Yeah.
1: Right? it is sleep. Sleep deprivation is gonna suppress your immune system. Right? And then you're always gonna get reinfected and you can't fight things off. It's the most Im- important thing. What happens when people get sick? They fall asleep, right? Yeah. And sleep is in a critical part. And that's what people are so lacking. Um, I think that we think of, you know, uh, we, we at least in this country, United States and probably in Canada too, we pride people on multitasking. We reward people for multitasking and the truth is your brain's not designed to multitask
2: exactly. right? it's
1: not designed for that at all um and it is it's very training but you know uh, i you know i would start with the, the fundamentals right which is sleep is an issue i can get into all kinds of ways and strategies to how to improve sleep right but the simplest thing i always tell people is that your brain loves circadian rhythms yeah circadian rhythms so do things routinely that includes the weekends. so don't like sleep in on the weekends right if you get up at eight o'clock every morning at eight o'clock on the weekends right no matter what time you go to bed get up at the same time because eventually you're you're going to start falling asleep earlier if you keep right. getting up at the same time you know don't go to bed at different time later and get up later because uh, no set that tone uh, again, you get involved with you know removing electronic devices out of your bedroom imperative. you got to get those EMS out of your bedroom. Yeah. You should shut down the computer at least an hour before you kind of get to bed or less, if you 're having real struggles with this uh sleep is an, is an imperative thing uh dietary things right you 're coaching people on dietary things, so I mean just you know if you just go to don 't make it so difficult
0: i don't know it doesn't have to like, be you know, difficult well
1: <laughs> I mean, what gets difficult for people especially with what immune stuff is they have so they lose all their they have so many food sensitivities so even when they're trying to eat healthy things they're all flared up and that is where things get to be you know a struggle but that aside is that you know if we just kind of get back to the basics of eating whole foods for goodness sake yeah. right get away from the package and stuff like that it, again i can talk for hours here right but um it always reminds me, when COVID first hit and we went into the supermarket, what was the things that were off the shelf? It was so the toilet paper, was all the cans and packaged pasta and okay. rice dishes, right? You went through the poultry, you went through the, 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 the vegetable department, then it was all stacked up. Yep. And that's, that's all I was grabbing, was all the vegetables and stuff, right? Just eat whole foods, right? And diversity is the key,
2: Exactly, right?
1: That is diversity because the microbiome, your gut bacteria are eating what you eat. That's the yeah. food chain. We don't realize that. We think that we're eating, and eating an apple and the apple's going into my system. No, 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 no. No, you're, you're feeding bacteria. your bacteria. <laughs> it's feeding the bacteria. We eat what the animal eats.
2: Yeah.
1: Right? So if the animal is eating corn and grain and antibiotics, and then we're eating that. Yeah. Or well, we're drinking that. Right? If the animal is eating grass and chlorophyll, then we're going to get that. And amino acids, we're getting that. But what yeah. we're eating then is feeding the bacteria. So now if we're eating if we're eating the grain and the corn from the animal that we're eating, then we the, the bacteria eating the get are getting the antibiotics and they're killing that and they're getting the corn and they're getting the grains and you're and you and you're killing off all these really good, healthy micro uh, good bacteria, and you're setting the stage for overgrowth of bad bacteria. Yeah,
2: and exactly. then you think
1: why are the supplements not working? Right? I and then the other thing too, again kind of is you know, sodium is another big thing because sodium is is good heavens, uh in the world of autoimmunity, sodium turns on a really powerful inflammatory immune chemical called interleukin-6, or IL-6. It is the driver of autoimmunity. You'll see it on a blood test. You'll see it on a marker called CRP. So cardiologists use CRP as a marker for cardiovascular disease. The higher that goes, the higher the prediction for heart disease. CRP is actually a marker of IL-6. It's, it's, an, it's an inflammatory marker. Sodium drives it.
0: Exactly.
1: Started, right so when you go to a package store today because of all the marketing right is everything's gluten-free this and gluten-free that I've even seen gluten-free vegetables I'm like what
0: exactly I know like, I saw gluten-free that? on a bag of apples I was yeah so what frustrated. is
1: that so but 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 <laughs> but they'll tell like you know gluten-free sausage links the chicken sort of the chicken sausages right and I, I'm like okay I look at it because, oh it's, oh, it's it's chicken, it's not pork. And then you turn it over and it'll be like 400 milligrams of sodium per link.
2: Exactly. I
1: tell people, you got to learn to start reading labels. If you buy yeah. anything in a package, box of package, start reading the nutritional profile. Yeah. Right? You want to look at sodium content and you want to look at sugar content. And you also have to look at servings. Because yeah. right? lots of times, like I'm saying, you'll say for chicken sausages, it's 400 milligrams of sodium per sausage. Yeah. That little package is sixteen hundred milligrams of sodium. That is so pro-inflammatory. That is turning on interleukin six, which is yeah. going to turn on vascular disease, turn on autoimmune diseases. You're like, what's going on here? Right? I'm eating gluten-free. Yeah. Whoa! Right. So you got to be able to start looking at packages and reading labels and just becoming alerted in that. So and that applies control- to
0: all the vegan people out there who are eating the packaged processed vegan products. Yeah. Because it's the same thing. Those like those burgers, those everything are all loaded. Well, those- with sodium
1: preservatives it's, and sodium yeah. and, and 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 proteins that can turn on estrogens yeah isolates uh, so. like it's terrible. yeah so they're not it's all marketing and so it doesn't mean that it's healthy stuff for you that's where you have to get a little bit more learned and but if you stay with whole foods you know when you pick up a head of lettuce, you don't read a nutritional profile
0: no. it's not there exactly
1: right yeah, yeah that's what
0: i tell my clients i'm like if it has a label on it you probably not don't want to buy it you know even if it's right. the box of, or a bag of potatoes if there's a box of potatoes it still has the dirt on it buy the box of potatoes even over the bag of potatoes you know like that's right. how yeah. whole foods we want to get yeah. yeah i love that
1: yeah well let me just give you one thing though because i don't I have a, yeah. actually an appointment is um if anybody is interested in getting more information about functional medicine, what I do is they can go to my website, which is getwell-now, so that's G-E-T-W-E-L-L with a middle dash. Don't forget the dash. N-O-W dot com, and there's a free uh, video series that I have there. It's free and it goes into a little bit of a deeper dive into functional medicine and maybe answers some people's questions.
0: That is amazing. We are going to drive people there. We're going to have the links at the bottom of the show notes. And one wish that I have for you, because I have interviewed a lot of doctors, I've taught a lot of doctors as well um, about metabolic nutrition. And one wish that I have for you is that you would put a program together to teach other functional medicine doctors and physicians and practitioners and healthcare workers how to be better practitioners. Because so many of the things that you said, I see clearly that you have that true holistic approach. It's not just a title that you're using in your business name or, you know, anything, but I see that you truly understand um, the connectivity between all of them and you understand it you know deeply and i understand i see that you're also someone who loves to keep learning it's not that you learned something 25 years ago and it's the same thing you're teaching today no
2: no no yeah
0: which unfortunately a lot of doctors still prescribe the same medications that they were taught in med school despite the fact that though you know there's so much about those drugs that we know now but they're still doing it because they're not out there learning so it's important for people out there you know if you're listening dr preachy is somebody who clearly is one of those people you want to look for those qualities in your practitioner is someone who continually like after the end of a long day with patients goes and you know reads a medical journalist looking at the literature and reading so i just have to say thank you thank you thank you for everything that you do in this world and maybe go out there and put a course together to teach other practitioners how to be better practitioners
1: thank you so much i'm in the process now of making courses online courses on things like vascular health and hormones and stuff but maybe i'll take you up on that it's not doing it for practitioners
0: yeah i I, I think that that is an area
1: yeah thank you for the encouragement on that appreciate that yeah
0: Mm -hmm. definitely and i know we're going to be in touch again we're going to have you on our show again because there's so many areas we still need to cover and it has been such a pleasure having you on our show and i'm going
1: to i'm going to be following your journey across canada
0: Thank you. Thank you. And yeah. I'll be getting in touch with you about additional, some good, good data that we can collect along the way. Cause it's not All too right. often that somebody does this. So it'll be <laughs> nice to be able to yeah show the results. Yeah. Thank awesome. you, Dr. Pucci. All Have right. an amazing Bye-bye. day. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hi everyone. How did you enjoy that podcast? I just want to say, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our shows. We do the long Form podcast because I think it's important to really dive into these topics. We live in a world where everything is clickbait and fast Instagram posts and you know pictures here and pictures there but without really any deep meaning behind any of them and we know that that's not going to get you the information that you need right now so that you can implement the lifestyle changes that we talked about on the show with Dr. Douglas Pucci. So I appreciate that you're here that you gobble up our podcast in 10 minute increments or 15 minute increments, or, you know, maybe you listen to the whole show from beginning to end. It doesn't matter how you take in the information. It's just important that you do take it in because the information we share on the Eat Real to Heal show can literally change your life. And in many cases, it has saved people's lives as they learn how to transition from an unhealthy lifestyle to a healthy lifestyle full of an abundance of beautiful plant-based whole foods, the kind of foods that keep every aspect of your body working well together um, and more. So thanks for being here, everyone. And I look forward to seeing you and chatting with you on the next show. Bye for now.